Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 15. Listen as I read from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of, now the birth of, forgive me saints, this is indeed what Holy Scripture says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you by no means, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from when and from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, And said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. 
This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Around Christmas Eve, I would take opportunity to preach to the kids. And it's a Sunday that I always enjoy. So this is a sermon that is primarily for children. You're welcome to stay, the rest of you, uh, if you like. Pull out your phones and play solitaire uh, if you want to waste your time. Uh, but I uh, would like this morning to tell all the kids about my big brother. All right? Which is interesting because the last time I checked, I only have four sisters. But I'm going to tell you about my big brother. I would like to also say how much I love the children of Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, we love to pray for you, we love to cheer for you, we love to see you grow up, but what we want most of all for you is that you would come to know God, not just know about him, and not just hear about him maybe in your school or your homeschool or your family devotions or your Grace Kids classes or Grace Youth or whatever it is, not just know about him, but actually come to know him. You can know God even when you are a kid. And God has done everything that is necessary, everything that's needed for you to know him. Everything's been done for you to know God. That's why we get really excited at Christmas time. We get excited because of all the fun things like our partially decorated tree that we hijacked from the school and um, all the nice things, accoutrements of Christmas. But what Christmas is really, really about is that God became man. Now, that's a, that's a big thing to think about. God became man. And he didn't just appear out of nowhere as a 29-year-old man. He was born as a little baby. From the womb to the tomb, he was a man. From the womb to the tomb to the his room as a groom, casting out gloom with his heavenly broom. Uh, yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? It was great, okay. It is amazing when you stop and think about it that God became a man. Kids, he was a baby, just like you were a baby. Uh, he was a boy, a little child, just like you were a little child, and maybe are a little child. And perhaps one day, he will be a brother to you. So let's think about the baby, the boy, and the brother, shall we? So number one, he was a baby. Jesus was a baby, just like you were a baby. Earlier this year, Mrs. Martin and I had the joy of welcoming little Charlotte Grace into our family, and I became a grandfather. Oh, it is the bee's knees, got to tell you. I became a grandfather because I had already been a father, and we had four children, and this is what happens. Your children grow up, and then they start having children, and it just goes on and on and on and on. 
We loved having those little babies in our home, and we love having little baby Charlotte in our home, but we also enjoy sending her home um, at night and things like that. Uh, but do you, do you remember when you were a baby? No, you can't remember when you were a baby. You don't, you're, I mean, you think you, no, you don't. You just saw movies of yourself. But when you were a baby, you were just like all the other babies. You ate and had to get your diaper changed and uh, you cried. You probably got sick and then you ate more and it went on and on and on and on. Mary miraculously became pregnant. It says in Matthew, or rather Luke 2, verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Do you know, do you know what swaddling cloths are? Anybody? You know what they are, kids? It's, it's like a, what in my day we called it a receiving blanket. And basically you receive the baby in the blanket and then you just wrap it up really tight and make a big burrito out of your baby. And, and so swaddle simply means to, to wrap something. Which, kids, if you're buying me a Christmas gift, feel free to swaddle it in $100 bills. Just uh, swaddle it. Uh, it appears that Mary gave birth in a, in a barn or a stable or something. We don't know for sure. But we do know that she laid that little baby in a manger. And a manger is a feeding trough. So just think about maybe that high and the farmer would, would pour his grain or oats or wheat. I'm just pick, picking all the things because I don't know what oxen eat. So whatever you feed things like cows, you put it into that trough and the cow comes up and he eats. And we don't know whether Mary and Joseph just kind of borrowed one or maybe there was an extra one lying around, but presumably she put some hay or straw in there and then they just put the little baby Jesus into that manger. Why that's important is because, do you remember the angels who talked to the, uh, the shepherds? And what did they say to the shepherds? So go into Bethlehem and find the baby that is, y yes, sir, lying in a manger, right? So that was like the little, the little way to know, because we don't know, maybe there was another baby born that night, how they're supposed to know which is the right baby. Oh, find the one that's lying in a manger. So they went in haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. This is all in Bethlehem. Uh, the, the house of bread is what you could translate the name of Bethlehem. And the bread of life is born in the house of bread. And that seems to be where Mary and um, Joseph and Jesus live for a while after he is born. Maybe Joseph got a job working as a carpenter. We don't know. But after about a month, they take the little trip up to Jerusalem where the temple is. And that's because there was a law that said... After your, once your baby boy is 40 days old, four zero, once he's 40 days old, like a month and a half sort of, you have to uh, make sacrifices. So this is Luke 2.22. By the way, I put all the Bible verses in the song sheet for you if you want to follow along with them there. And when the time came for their purification, Luke 2.22 to 24, according to the law of Moses, the Old Testament laws, they brought him, baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Anybody here got a pet pigeon? Good, they're weird birds. Uh, normally, a new mom would, would, was supposed to take a lamb and a pigeon and sacrifice those when she had a baby boy. 
But the law said if she can't, if she doesn't have enough money to pay for a lamb, she can, instead of bringing a lamb and a pigeon, she can bring two pigeons. And that's what Mary and Joseph brought. That's one of the hints in the Bible to tell us that Jesus was, seems to have been born into a very poor family. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of resources. Maybe, do, do you, any of you kids have a rich friend? I felt like all my friends were rich. They seemed to get like better toys than I ever got. That's funny how that works. And guess what? You'll spend the rest of your life with everybody else. There's always somebody richer than you unless you are the richest person in the world, which there can only be one. So you might as well just get used to there's always somebody who has more than you. I hope that helps. <laughs> but if, if maybe at Christmas your brother or your sister, somebody gets a present that you think is way better than what you got, you might want to remember Jesus who had very, very little. He used to have everything. He was with his father in glory, but he left it all, and he was born of the virgin into a very poor family. That poverty was probably made worse by this thing called the census, when Quirinius was governor. Remember that little bit? And a census is taken of all the earth, and basically you have to go to your um, familial heritage family site, and that's why Joseph, because he's of the house of David, has to go down to Bethlehem and register there. And just the timing of everything, it turns out she's around nine months pregnant. And maybe they were hoping to get down and get back again. But that's where the baby Jesus is born. In other words, maybe things were not going according to plan, at least Joseph's plan. He's poor. He's got to travel down here. Now his wife has given birth. And probably she needs time to recover, so he just picks up some odd jobs in Bethlehem. Forty days come, you go up to Jerusalem, you make the little sacrifice. When they were, when they were doing that, making the sacrifice in the temple, imagine what this was like. Um, some old guy is walking by and just, and walks over to them and takes the baby Jesus in his arms and starts saying how this is answered prayer. This is the child the Lord had promised. That was Simeon. And he was one of the priests, and he was in the temple all the time. And God had told him before any of this happened that, that he would see God's Messiah. He would see the Savior that God was going to give to the world. And, and he, we don't know how. Maybe God spoke to him or somehow impressed upon his heart. Right in that moment, he sees that baby. He's like, there he is. <laughs> wonder, if I was Mary and Joseph, that would be really, really encouraging. Because so far, all the communication has been kind of in the family. Uh, Mary had an angel speak to her. Joseph had an angel speaking to him in a dream. Uh, her, her cousin who gave birth to John the Baptist, she had an angel thing. It's just kind of all in the family. Now there's this total stranger walking up and going, oh, this is, this is the one. God is so kind like that to remind us of things that are true. Maybe when we're starting to doubt a little bit. I remember when I was like eight or nine years old and I was down visiting my sister in Cincinnati and I, they lived in this huge, creepy, creaky, old house. It was clean. Uh, I don't want to like throw my sister under the bus. So it was just, it was just an old, old house. So it just kind of creaked and groaned and, and, and I had never been away from home a whole lot. And so I'm lying there in bed one night, the first night I'm there and I am just scared because I just think there's things in the closet or something coming down the hall. And I'm just like <laughs> under the covers. And I looked out of my window and I saw a cross. Only it wasn't a cross. It was a telephone pole with a piece across it. 
And then I kind of thought, oh, it's a telephone pole. But for some strange reason, it just comforted my heart to remember that there was a God. I wasn't even a Christian yet. Has the Lord ever reminded you of something true? That was kind of him, wasn't it? Seems like uh, Mary and Joseph moved permanently there to Bethlehem, at least for a couple of years, because we know the wise men came with their gifts to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem first, and then they traveled down to Bethlehem. By the way, we got to do this every year. If, if you have one of those nativity scenes and there's wise men in it, what do you need to do with them? Throw them out, because uh, they weren't there. The, the only th- what you need to do is you need to replace it with what was really there, and I like to bring them out every year. What you need is a dragon. Oh yeah, this is, his name is Revelation 12.4. This is the Revelation 12.4 dragon. I know he's more, it's the best I could do for a dragon. Uh, anyway, you gotta have the dragon there because uh, Revelation 12.4, I'll tell you why. That's his name, by the way. His name is Revelation 12.4. I'm gonna put him away because I think it's very distracting. Uh, Wise men show up, uh, Jesus is a toddler, he's probably between a year, a year and a half, um, and uh, they come, they bring their gifts. Very kind of the Lord to do all of these things. Anyway, uh, the, the wise men leave Bethlehem, and Herod had said, come back and tell me who this you know, king is, and, and they, get, they had a, God spoke to them through an angel in a dream, and so they took off another way, they didn't tell Herod. And then, Matthew chapter 2, Joseph, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. Now that's... The last we hear about Jesus as a baby or a little toddler. Verse 40 of Luke 2 says, The child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So he was a baby, just like you were. And he was also a boy. Luke tells us that they stayed in Egypt for quite a while. Egypt is far away from Jerusalem. Are are you from Egypt? Anybody here from Egypt? Any kids here from Egypt? Any children here with Egyptian parents or grandparents? There we are, yes. There is a very special connection you get to have with Jesus if you are from Egypt because Jesus was an Egyptian for a little while. He lived in Egypt. Probably learned to speak Egyptian, don't know. Not sure how many years he was there, but he was there for quite a while. That means that Jesus knew what it was to also live like a Gentile. He knew what it was to be a Jew in a foreign land. Maybe he had a PR card. I don't know. But he probably learned to speak Egyptian, probably um, had some, you know, just Egyptian food, whatever. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, after Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying... Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And this time, instead of going back to Bethlehem, they go all the way up to the top of the country there to a town of Nazareth. 
And it's there where Jesus really kind of settles down and digs, digs, down, digs down roots. He begins to live the life of every good Jewish boy in a Jewish family. And that includes going to the feasts and the sacrifices every year. And one of those trips to Jerusalem is where we get the only kind of story in your Bible about Jesus as a boy. That comes in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Look at it there. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, anybody here 12? Oh, there's a 12, there's a 12. Any more 12s? Some more 12s? Yeah, we got 12s. When he was 12 years old, uh, they went up according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Okay, let's have a true show of hands. Any of you kids, have you ever been left behind? Like mom and dad left and, uh, and you were like, oh, yes. <laughs> There's many parents going, I never left you behind. I did that on purpose to teach you. Okay, um, some of you have been left behind. There was a, don't worry if that happens, by the way. There was a, there was a little boy in this church who was left behind once and uh, this was years and years ago, and I was cleaning everything up and locking up, and I just found him sitting there very politely on the stairs right out there, just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, I, I, what happened? And he says, oh, I think, I think my parents forgot me. <laughs> uh, I mean, once you have over four kids, it's very conceivable you're going to lose a kid somewhere, right? I mean, four is kind of manageable. You hit five and forget it. So anyway, I'm like, no, you can't stay here. You know, we, we found that. Anyway, it all worked out great. He's a Matthew is a fine young man <laughs> who is, uh, he's got kids of his own now. He's doing great in life. So don't worry. Um, just be polite like Matty boy. He's just, oh, I'll be fine. I can stay here all afternoon. No, Matt, we're not leaving you here. Uh, Eventually, uh, you know, parents figure out, like, when everybody gets out of the car, like, oh, we're missing one. So that's kind of what happened here. Everybody would travel in sort of a caravan, you would, and you just thought, oh, Jesus is with the Smiths or something like that. And so you go a couple days' journey. They weren't negligent parents is all I'm trying to say. It was just normal that your kids would be, you know, moving around a little bit. Suddenly they realize, oh, he's not here. Verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. Found him where? In the temple. Listening to the teachers and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I'll have to come back to that little tidbit in a moment. But what do you think his mom and dad were thinking? Luke tells us. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. It's like one of the most identifiable parent verses ever. <laughs> and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So at 12 years of age, Jesus would begin taking on the responsibilities of man, manhood. Uh, he'd still be under his parents' authority, but he'd also be seeking to establish himself as a young adult. No offense, young adults. 
But in the culture of Jesus, you would have just been called adults. Okay. Uh, I think there's some important things to notice uh, about the actions of the young adult, the young adult boy Jesus. Uh, number one, he was having spiritual discussions, right? He was listening carefully to instruction and he was asking questions. I love it when you kids ask questions most of the time. <laughs> because sometimes you stump me. And that's the thing with parents. We, we love it when you ask questions unless you ask us things we don't know. And uh, I know one family, for instance, that has a board in their home. And when you have a question about God or the Bible, you can just write the question on the board. I think this is really just a diversionary tactic of the mother who is trying to put all the responsibility for answering the questions on the father. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's an excellent tactic. That's something you may want to adopt in your family as well. But you're, you're very welcome to ask questions of the Bible, ask questions of God. God is not afraid of your questions. He knows everything. And his word contains everything we know for life and godliness. It's your parents who are afraid of the questions, not God. But wise parents are going to tell you, hey, I don't know the answer to that, but let's search the Bible together and see if we can find an answer. And so Jesus had these spiritual discussions, and you can have spiritual discussions too. You can do that with your friends. You can talk about God with your friends, and you can do that with your parents, with other grown-ups. He also did what he thought was right and still gladly submitted to his parents. Now, that can be a bit trickier to understand. He did what he determined was right. He went to the temple. But when his parents asked him to do something different, something that was not a sin, but something different than what he wanted to do, Jesus did it. It's really no surprise that the God who created authority and gave it to mankind as a good gift before sin came into the world was pleased himself to submit to the authority of his parents. I mean, it's always easy for you to obey your mom and dad, right? Nobody's nodding. <laughs> No, it's hard. It's hard to obey mom and dad, especially because they're usually telling us things we don't want to do. I mean, if they tell you, hey, let's have Christmas every day of the year, you'd be like, okay, I will obey. That's not really, really obeying though, is it? But Jesus had these spiritual discussions. You can have them. Jesus obeyed his parents. I think you can obey your parents. He did all of these things. And it's there where um, he stops being a baby and starts becoming a boy and then grows into a man. Which leads me to ask this question. This is the last thing we'll talk about. Will he become your brother? So you could be a baby like Jesus was a baby. You can be a child like Jesus was a child. But the big, big question is, will he become your brother? So what do we know about Jesus between the time he was a boy and the time he started to preach and teach? Answer, not much. But once his preaching and teaching started, we know a lot. 
One time, he walked back to his hometown of Nazareth. He, was, he had been somewhere else, and he came to that town, and now he's preaching and he's teaching. His disciples are with him. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, it says this. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now we can learn a few things about the man Jesus here. All right, here's number one. I'll give you four. First thing, he was a carpenter, which basically means he was a construction worker. Three cheers for construction workers. We got some brothers and sisters that work in that field today. I'm so glad. You should be glad because you wouldn't have anywhere to live if there was nobody to build your house or your condo or whatever else. So we thank God for the construction workers. Jesus grew up doing manual labor. After his father, he would follow suit with his dad's career, which would have been a carpenter. In this culture, unlike Toronto in 2023, where I think um, if you're smart, you'll get into the construction field because I think that's where all the money is. That's just for free. Uh, but in his day, uh, this was kind of the, the, where you went if, if you didn't have many other options. Uh, it wasn't a great career. Well, you didn't make a ton of money as a carpenter. But that means that our Lord knew how to work hard. And if your mom and dad take the time to teach you how to work hard, you should be thankful. Because work came into the world before sin and the curse came into the world. For some reason, we feel like work is the curse. Work is not the curse. The curse is, is that work is always frustrating because of the thorns and thistles that are always getting in the way. They make work a little bit harder. But work is a good thing. It's a gift from the Lord. He made us to work. He made us to be busy at things. And Jesus did that in his life. Secondly, his dad had likely passed away. He had probably died when Jesus was pretty young. We're pretty sure about that because of the way people referred to him in Nazareth. They, they refer to him as the son of Mary, which is very unusual. Normally you would identify a man by his father unless his father had already died. My dad died almost 17 years ago. So that means I was about 40 years old when my dad died. And that feels too young to me now. It's a hard thing to lose a dad. It really is. But we'll see in a minute that Jesus couldn't have even been 30 years old when his dad passed away. The third thing is that the people that he grew up with figured he was just like them. That's the whole point of their talking about his, his career. You're a carpenter and his family. That's his brothers and his sisters, uh, his parents. That's Mary right there. The whole point of them looking at each other and saying that is like, oh, we've known this guy his whole life. Who does he think he is? You know, if you kids become a Christian one day, it might be that, that people just sort of look at you like you're the same old person. Who do you think you are? But God will look at you very differently. Last thing we can learn about Jesus from this text is that he had four brothers and some sisters. We don't know how many sisters. His brothers are named there, Mark 6, 3, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Okay, quiz. 
Two of those brothers wrote books in the Bible. Can you figure out which ones? James. All the adults are answering. This is a sermon for children. Mind your own business. Uh, <laughs> not really. You can, you can pay attention. Uh, James, yes. James wrote the book of? James. And then one more, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. He had a brother named Judas. Wrote the book of? Jude. <laughs> Very good. James wrote James. Jude wrote Jude. We also know that Jesus had at least two sisters. Are not his sisters, plural, here with us? Maybe he had more. And maybe he will get more brothers and sisters. Because maybe you will become one of them. Luke tells us that Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years of age. What do you think his ministry was? What do you think his job was? What was he doing? Well, it had something to do with telling people something. Mark chapter 1. Now, after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is what he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? Gospel is a word that just means good news. Believe in the good message. Not many chapters later in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he, he explains that good message, that gospel. Even the son of man, he's talking about himself. He's referring to himself as son of man. It's a title. It's important. We can talk about it another time. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. You know what that word means? The Son of Man did not come to be served. God becomes man on earth. He didn't come to be served. That's amazing. What's even more amazing is that he came to serve and what's incredible is that the way he was going to serve is by giving his life as a ransom for many. That's what's so unique about Jesus. Now, kids, do you watch any of those Marvel movies? Marvel movies. Okay. If you don't, that's good because Marvel has jumped the shark. It's it's nuts because I thought they were okay for a while, but here's what happens in the superhero genre. You have this great enemy, and then you finally conquer him, and you're like, good, done, we're done. And then you find out that there's somebody just a little more powerful than him, and now we got to go conquer him, so you conquer him. And then there's always, there's always like one more bad entity. And then to make matters worse, now there's the multiverse it's endless. It's never going to end. Ad nauseum, boring, too many stories. No, there is, it's all wrong because here's reality. There is one God. There's nobody above him. There's no other universes. There's not another you living on another planet inventing chocolate milk. There's just, there's just you and there is God and there is one universe. That is what is reality. And this God became a baby, grew into a boy, and then he became a man so that he might become your brother. 
just like he's my brother. Now, why would I dare to call Jesus my brother? This is Hebrews chapter 2. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all of one source, that's why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So this is talking about our Lord Jesus. He's not ashamed to call the people who trust in him brothers. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. You cannot be as innocent as the baby Jesus. You cannot be as obedient as the boy Jesus. But you can be made a brother of Jesus. Let's put all these things together. God took on flesh. Jesus became human, born a baby, raised a normal boy, lived as any other man, except he was God in the flesh, so he never, ever, ever sinned. Not in his mind, not in his actions, not with his words. Never once did he sin. That is what qualified him to be the ransom for sinners. What's a ransom? Let's say on Boxing Day, some nation invades Canada. This isn't really going to happen. I'm just making it up as I go. It invades Canada, and they capture you, and they, they steal you away, and they send me a message. And they say, you can have them back, but it's going to cost you $1,000. What's going to happen if I show up with $9. Is that enough to get you back? Not enough. How about I show up with $90? Is that enough to get you back? Not enough. What if I show up with $900? Is that enough to get you back? What if I show up with $999.99? Is that enough to get you back? No. You need the full $1,000. And when I give the full $1,000, I get you back. I ransom you. Here's the exchange. You take the money, I'll take Gabriel. <laughs> got you back. <laughs> but you got to have enough. The ransom that, that Jesus paid that only Jesus could pay, you can think of it as having kind of two parts. One part, he lived the perfect, sinless, law-keeping life. That was the life that you and I were, all of us were supposed to live and we didn't. He did it for us. That was one part of the ransom. And the other part of the ransom, he took all of our sins on himself. And then he suffered an eternity of hell for those sins. Justice was done. Somehow in the span of three hours on the cross, Jesus took all the eternal wrath of God, the eternal hell that was going to be poured out on certain people, and he took it upon himself, all those who believe on him and trust in him. 
That's the full $1,000. That's the ransom that has to be paid to buy you back. Jesus did everything we need to be with God forever. Now, all that remains for us, including kids, is to know about that, which now you do because you're listening to me. But you also have to believe it's true. I hope you do. Then you actually have to trust in Jesus, which I pray you will do. When, when you trust in Jesus, you're, you're turning away from all the crazy ways we try to get to God in our own strength or by doing enough good things. And we just believe on Jesus and believe that what Jesus did was enough for somebody like me. I did that when I was 15. The Lord opened my eyes. He saved me. I turned away from my sins and trusted on Jesus. Praise the Lord. The moment you do that, Jesus becomes your elder brother. He is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He becomes your older brother. Isn't that wonderful? So you were a baby like Jesus was a baby. You were a child like Jesus was a child. But it's not just being born and growing up that will get you to heaven. You need Jesus to become your big brother. And he is happy to do that the moment you turn from your sins and trust in him. My favorite Christmas gift of all time was my gold Schwinn Stingray banana seat bicycle with the dangly things on the handlebars. It was amazing. I wasn't expecting it. It was just there by the tree. It sparkled. It had sparkles in the seat. It was amazing. And it was, I got it at Christmas, so I rode it around the basement all, all winter because you couldn't take it outside. That was the most amazing thing I could ever want. It was incredible. I loved it. And maybe like six, seven years later, I threw it in the garbage because <laughs> that's what happens to all our gifts. They're amazing, they're incredible, they're sparkly and fun. And my bike got rusty and broken, the seat ripped. I left it out in the rain, dumb kid, me. And it was, it was toast, it was garbage. The only gift, the only gift you will ever get that lasts forever and ever and ever is Jesus. The best brother you will ever have. The only savior you will ever get. And the greatest joy of your entire life. So kids, that's my prayer for you. That this would be the year where you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for every one of the children you've entrusted to our church family. Thank you for parents, moms and dads, raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We thank you for these children. I assume today there are some kids who'd rather not be at church, they'd rather be doing other things. That's a big temptation from Satan that I think everybody faces. So I pray for those dear little friends that they would somehow see 
that all those other things in the world are very empty. They're going to rust away. They'll be out in the garbage soon enough. What has the world ever done for them? The only thing the world has ever done for us is lie to us, disappoint us, distract us, hurt us. But today, here's a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's willing to take the most sinful kid here and grant them repentance and faith. So by your great power, Lord, do that great saving work, just like you did for me. One evening out in California, all alone, you opened my eyes to see. Praise you for your great salvation. And ask, Lord, that you would do that same work for every child here. I pray for the ones that are leaning on you, trusting in you, working out whether they're Christians or not. Help them along that path, Lord, to keep looking to you, praying, trusting you, reading their Bibles. What a great, great privilege to grow up in a home where they can read a Bible. Millions and millions have never seen a Bible, and they get to have one in their home. So I pray that you would help them to read it, help them to understand it, bring them to know Christ. And Lord, grant us Grant us, Lord, by your mercies and by your grace, a great harvest of souls amongst all the young ones here. Save every one of them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, friends.